Open your Bibles. Turn to the book of Isaiah. And uh, I want you to turn to the 65th chapter of Isaiah tonight. And I'm thankful to be here. You know you're in the country when you're riding down the road. I have never been to Silva. I've never, ever, ever been to Silva. I've been through. I've been by. Never been in. And you know you're in the country. I rode for miles and miles. I ain't seen a dollar tree. I ain't seen a dollar general. I ain't seen a gas station. But out of nowhere, coming down the highway, I saw a tractor supply. Let me tell you something. That's redneck, baby. That is redneck. Y'all a different kind of redneck, but I like it. I want you to stand together if you're not standing already. The 65th chapter, if you're able tonight. I want to read two verses to you. The 17th verse of chapter number 65. Isaiah said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come in to mind. But be ye glad and rejoice. Forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. I want you to notice that phrase at the beginning of verse number 18. But be ye glad. I want you to underline that phrase because that's what I want to dance around and tiptoe around a little bit tonight. Be ye glad. Heavenly Father, tonight you know my limitations. You know my inability. I can talk, but I can't preach. For Lord, preaching has to go beyond the ear. It has to strike the heart. Lord, tonight I know that there is something that you desire to accomplish. So Lord, tonight I pray that you would loose my tongue, that you would let me go. Lord, that you would anoint my mind, that you would fill my spirit. But, Lord, beyond that, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God would flow from me through this place. I pray that tonight the glory and the honor and the praise would be given and belong solely and wholly to Jesus Christ, for it is in His name I pray. Amen. You be seated tonight. Isaiah is what is known as the Prince of the Prophets. There were a lot of prophets that wrote during the days of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote during the concurrent reigns of many different kings. His time began in the days of Uzziah, a holy king. If you want to put it like this, Isaiah began on the mountain peak. He began on the mountain peak with a man whose name was Uzziah. Uzziah reigned for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade. And as he died, Uzziah gives way to a man whose name was Ahaz. Ahaz was the antithesis, the opposite side, the other end of the spectrum, the far swing of the pendulum to what Uzziah was. If Uzziah was good in the eyes of God, then Ahaz was wicked in the eyes of God. But yet Isaiah stood 
faithful and he was holy in the reign, just like he was in Uzziah's day, in the days of Ahaz. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter who's in charge. We still have a job to do. It doesn't matter who's sitting on the throne. God is still in his kingdom. And then that day gives way to a man whose name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah, that righteous king, that good king, that holy king, that pure king. And in the days of of Uzziah, let me back up. Before Ahaz, there was Jotham. You've got Jotham, a wicked king, then Ahaz, then you've got Hezekiah. Hezekiah, that righteous king. Hezekiah, that holy king. Hezekiah, that good king. Hezekiah, that wonderful king. And yet Isaiah said in that day, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be faithful in this day, whether it is in a good day or in a bad day. And then Hezekiah dies, and Hezekiah gives way to his son, Manasseh. Manasseh is so vile, so wretched, so wicked, so messed up, so out there that God says, because of Manasseh, I am going to send Israel into captivity. It's over, it's done because of how bad and how wicked Manasseh is. So therefore, brothers and sisters, if you take the timeline of the life of Isaiah and you take the timeline of his writing, chapter 65 would be right smack dab in the middle of Manasseh's reign. We find out that Manasseh is so wicked. We find out that Manasseh is so awful that he takes Isaiah and he saws him in half. That in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when it says, and some were sawn asunder, that is talking about Isaiah. Now here's what's interesting about Isaiah. If you could only have one book in all of the Old Testament that you were to read and were to get a picture of the salvation history of Israel, it would be the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been called a Bible in a nutshell. Why? Because just like your Bible has 66 books in it, Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. Just like your Bible has two sections in it, the Old Testament and the New Testament, so Isaiah has two sections in it. It has the first half and the second half. Just like the first half of your Bible, the Old Testament has 39 books in it, so the first half of Isaiah has 39 39 chapters in it. And just like the second half of your Bible, the New Testament has 27 books in it, so the second half of Isaiah has 27 chapters in it. Just like the first half of your Bible begins with a blessing, but ends with a curse, so the first half of Isaiah, it begins with a blessing in chapter 1 when he says come now and let us reason together saith the Lord though your sins be as scarlet I will make them as white as snow well the Old Testament it ends with a curse and when Malachi says that in that day he will raise up Elijah and he will bring a curse upon the whole earth so Isaiah that first half it ends with a curse but when the New Testament opens up though the Old Testament may have ended with a curse the New Testament begins with a blessing. Where is the blessing? The Bible says out on a little Judean hillside there's some shepherds watching over sheep and the eastern sky splits open and the angels of heaven step out of the clouds and they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and good will toward men. So the second half of Isaiah, it begins with a blessing. What does it begin with? Isaiah 40 and verse number 1. Isaiah says comfort ye, comfort ye my people. 
Now, here's where I want to take you with that. If you follow the book of Isaiah, you are in the 65th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Do you know what the 65th book of the Bible is? It is the little book of Jude. You see, that book of Jude is a picture of the last day's church. It is a picture of what the church is going to look like right before the coming of the Lord Jesus typified in the book of the Revelation. So chapter 65 and Isaiah, I'm going somewhere, I promise you, I'm taking you there. In chapter 65 of the book of Isaiah, it's the promise to the last day's church. Now here's what you've got to remember. Watch what he said in verse number 18. He says, be ye glad and rejoice. Now, I am not the smartest man that ever lived. In fact, I'm on the bottom end of that spectrum. But those two words seem to me to mean the same thing. Be glad, rejoice. To me, it's kind of like when somebody calls you fat and fluffy at the same time. Two words that mean the same thing. But God is not in the habit of wasting words. Therefore, in your Bible, if it says be glad and rejoice, it means something specific. What is the difference? Well, rejoicing is the verbal expression of joy. It's when that which is on the inside comes out over your vocal cords and goes out through the doorpost of your lips and it comes out. It's stuff like this. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ain't God good. It's a wonderful day to be alive. It's when the people of God lift up their hands and they whisper out with their words, our God is faithful. Our God is good. Truly God has been good to Israel. The Lord is merciful and full of mercy. He is gracious and full of grace. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. And the people of God gave a good hearty amen. That's what it means to rejoice. It is when you open up your mouth and give a verbal expression of what's on the inside. I have not always been a part of this old-fashioned way. We grew up in a good church, but I'd like to think of my church as what we would call a very conservative, meek and mild Baptist church. We were the kind of church that if somebody said amen, you looked over because you figured they were having a seizure. It was not normal for people to talk in church. If somebody ever said hallelujah, you knew the church of God had arrived. But I will never forget where I was. It was 2005. The the Country Tonight Theater in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. The Smoky Mountain Gospel Jubilee. 1,400 people inside of that. Brother Ralph Sexton, he stood up on that Friday night and he preached that message, the tsunami of sin. And he showed that that video of the, the, the tsunami that happened in Jakarta, Indonesia. And he got to the end and showed that rescue chopper pulling somebody off of a house and he came up and he said do you remember where you were when Jesus came and rescued you out of the flood waters of sin and in that moment I felt something hit me on the inside I look at it now and it was what I call Holy Ghost nudging and the Holy Ghost nudge on the inside it said shout now for your sins have been washed away shout now I said I ain't never shouted before he said shout now I said Lord I can't shout now I 
I don't know how to shout now. He said, shout now. I'd never shouted before, and I ain't ever shouted like that since. I sounded like a Comanche Indian. I ain't never shouted. I stood up. I said, ah, I didn't know what I was talking about. But here's what I knew. There was something on the inside that had to come out, and I ain't been the same ever since. I've been rejoicing in the fact that my sins have been washed away. But rejoicing is not the same as gladness. Because he says, be glad and rejoice. So if rejoicing is the verbal expression of joy, and we preach on that a lot, what is be glad? If if rejoicing is the verbal, then being glad is the visual expression of being joy-filled. You know what that means? Looking like you got something. There is nothing worse than what mama called a sourpuss Christian. Somebody that looked like they'd sucked a lemon. I'll tell you a story about sucking on a lemon. I went to Brother Daniel's one time to preach. It was in August. And he, Brother Daniel has got this concoction. Y'all got moonshine up in these hills. Brother Daniel's got lemon shine. He's got this man in his church. And if you've got a sore throat, go see this man in his church. He's got this concoction. I went up to him. I said, Brother, my throat is a little sore. He said, I got something for you. Brother Daniel has got 15 Dixie cups on his pulpit. And he'll point out which one is yours. The problem is, by the time he's done exhorting... And everybody else is preaching. They done spit in every one of them open face Dixie cups. I'm over here gagging a maggot, trying not to get COVID from that water. I mean, it is absolutely more than I can handle. And he st- and I drunk one of those things, and that it, it grabbed my throat. So I went up to him after church. I said, what is in there? He said, it's lemon and water. It's easy to make, lemon and water. He said, put lemon in water, and it'll, it'll cure what ails you. I said, no problem. I went to the food city in Lenore before the next morning service. I walked in, and I got one of them lemon juice things like they got at the seafood restaurant. And I got that thing, and I got a bottle of water. I dumped out half of that bottle of water. And I took that entire lemon. If you think I'm lying, I'm dying. I took that entire lemon. And I squirted that hole. I mean, I mean the hole. Just filled it right up. Before I went up to preach, I took that bottle, shook it up, and I threw that thing back. And son, my lips puckered. My throat closed up. And somebody got up. And right before I preached, somebody got to testifying in that morning service. And I mean, they was a squalling, and they was a sobbing, everybody shouting, and I got up there. I had it on the inside, but the gladness had not come to the outside. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you what the Bible says to this last day's church? That there is a real joy that settles in your heart when you've been born again. When the Holy Ghost is down on the inside, you can't help but smile. You can't help but rejoice. You can't help but be excited. There is something exciting about knowing that there is a purpose to your life and that God has birthed you for something in this world. But the devil's going to do everything he can to rip that out of you. 
you. There are people under this tabernacle right now. This choir sang, that precious group sang. I've been watching that little grandmother for 15 years on YouTube. Every time I get discouraged, I'll watch her at Brother Ralph's in one of those services, get to shouting all over that stage, that knock Ralph section right off the platform, and it does something on the inside to see that visible expression, that visible expression of that inner joy. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lost and dying world out there, and our verbal expressions of joy aren't getting the job done. We're telling them that there is a God. We're telling them that there is life. We're telling them that there is hope. We're telling them that God's alive, but we're missing something. You know what it is? It's that external expression of joy. It's the lifting up of our hands and being glad in the sanctuary again. It's the kicking off of shoes when the Holy Ghost hits you. That's get, that's missing in the house of God. It's a people standing up saying, I just can't take it anymore. There's something on the inside and it's a bubbling over inside of me. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells the people of God, be ye glad. In this day, 2023, we're losing the generation that knew how to rejoice and be glad. We're losing that generation that knew it was more than words. It was more than what I could say. It was a body language. It was something from the bottom of your toes to the top of your head. It was the lifting up of hands. It was the gladness as you ride down the road. Honey, I can remember I was I was 18 years old. God called me to preach. My daddy's a firefighter. My mom is a secretary. I don't have preachers anywhere in my family. We went to church, but we didn't have anybody. I didn't know anything about this church thing. I didn't know anything about this religion thing. I sure didn't know anything about this preacher thing. Only religion I had in my house. My grandmama spoke in tongues, but it wasn't a kind in church. It was a kind you heard in a tobacco field when you had done something wrong. That was the kind of tongues I was familiar with. When your grandmama was about to whip your tail up one side, I'm telling you, I didn't have anything to do with that. But I knew when somebody had the real deal, I could see it on their face. I could sense it in their presence. Ladies and gentlemen, it's more than words. Young people, it's more than words. Young families, it's more than words. You can tell your kids that God's alive, but it's got to be on the outside. It's got to be an expression of life. There's got to be an expression of joy. Honey, it's more than me telling my Mason and my Ella that there is a God in heaven. They've got to see it expressed on the outside in the body language whenever something goes wrong in your life. Do you tense up or do you say, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I declare that my God is able and my God is real and my God is true. You've got to be glad. I've come all this way to tell somebody in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your problem and in the midst of your issue and in the midst of your situation, throw your head back, rear your shoulders back and tell the devil, I refuse to be a downtrodden Christian. I refuse to be a downtrodden person. I'm going to lift up my heart. I'm going to rejoice with my words and I'm going to be glad in my presence. Don't make them give three cheers for Jesus when you come in on Sunday. Honey, you be reared up and ready to go and I promise you this, when you cannot win them with your words, the fire that comes off of a person's life, the fire that comes off of a person's existence, a fire that comes off. Ladies and gentlemen, I've known Brother Daniel now for about nine years. I watched him all those years ago in those tent meetings. All those, I didn't know him, but I'd seen him. And it was not 
what he said. There was something on his exterior man. There was something from the inside that was radiating to the outside. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that just says things. I want to be the kind of child of God that's got fire on the inside and I got smoke coming on the outside. I got a fire on the inside and there's something heating up on the outside. Oh, child of God, in this world of depression, in this world of discouragement, in this world of fear and anxiety and trouble and problem and and all the other issues they've got, there ought to be some people that have got so much fire and Holy Ghost power and love and joy and salvation and forgiveness and peace in the inside that it just flows to the outside. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to stop hitting in the mully grubs. It's time for us to stop being upset. It's time for us to stop looking like the devil's moved into our house and remind them this ain't even our house. Our house is on the other side and it ain't done being constructed yet. It's time, people of God, that we be glad. I wonder tonight if the Holy Ghost has got room in your heart to remind you what it was like being on fire on the outside, being on fire in your face, having fire in your bosom, having it come to the outside. Be ye glad. Invariably, there's always people that say, Tyler, come on. Do you not live in the world I live in? Do you not deal with what I deal with? No, I don't. I don't have any idea what it looks like at your house. I don't have any idea what it looks like in your family. I don't know anything about your mama. I don't know anything about your daddy. I don't know anything about anything. But I didn't write the Bible. If I would written the Bible then you could say, well, that doesn't apply to me. You don't know what my house looks like. But the one that wrote the Bible has already been to your house. And in fact, he was at your house long before you ever got to your house. In fact, long before your house had ever been built, God had already been there. And long before you ever thought about building your house, God had already staked it out. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he already owned it long before you ever had a bank note that said you owned it. He knew what it was going to be like at your house. He knew what your family was going to go through. He knew what your life was going to look like. He knew what that doctor was going to say. He knew how much you were going to lack. He knew how that husband was going to walk out. He knew how that friend was going to abandon you. He knew how that boyfriend or that girlfriend or whatever it is was going to mess you up but it's about time that we heed the command of God it's not a recommendation it's not something God says I hope you'll do he says just like I want you to honor thy father and thy mother just like I want you to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart soul and mind just like I want you to do that they are commands so is the command to be glad ladies and gentlemen let the fire of God come back again let the joy of God come back again let the peace of God come back again you say how can I do that I'll give you four things and I'm so fast I'm going to load them up and blow them out because brother Daniel told me there's a man that cooks and it's better than I've anything I've ever had before I'm going to load it up and blow it out so fast I'm going to be eaten before you can even know what hits you number one Tyler how in the world can I have that external joy and peace and fire number one verse number seven the reason you can be glad is because he's still God watch what it says in verse number seven of this chapter your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord. Do you see that that word right there, Lord? Does anything look funny about that in your King James Bible? Different than any other word in that verse? Well, if your Bible's looking like my Bible, it should look like capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. 
Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D in the Old Testament, that is God saying, I am giving you my personal guarantee because that name, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, is the personal name of God. It is God's way of saying, I'm putting my name on the line. The name Lord, the letter L, letter O, letter R, letter D, when you see it capitalized, that is God saying Yahweh. In the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 3, it was not the name Yahweh. It was the name I am. And if you look in Exodus chapter number 3, I am will be capitalized because that was God's way of saying, what I'm putting my name on, I am personally guaranteeing that with everything I am, I'm going to make this right. Now, in verse number 7, it talks about one major thing when he stakes his name down. He talks about your iniquities. Your iniquities, that's another phrase for your mess-ups, your sin, your transgression, your wickedness, your vileness, that which separates you from God. But God says, I know you ain't what you're supposed to be, but I am still what I'm supposed to be. You have messed up, but I ain't. Some of y'all are looking a little pickled. I have a bad habit. I have many bad habits, but I have a real bad habit. Down deep inside of me, if I can make a dollar, it's for sale. It's for sale. If it ain't buttoned down, bolted down, I'll sell it. And if it is buttoned down and bolted down, I'm looking for ratchets to unbolt it down because I want to sell it. I've been buying it every two years because I ain't paying them capital gains taxes. I ain't giving, I ain't giving the government no more than I got to. I'll give Caesar his part, but I ain't giving Caesar's wife her part. Every two years, I buy and sell my house. Buy it, sell it. We, don't even, we live in boxes. We don't even unpack our stuff anymore. But every time I go to buy a house, the bank will give me this piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, they are saying, our part of this deal is to give you the money to buy this property. We're putting our name on this document saying we're going to do what we're going to do. And when I get to the end of that document, I have a place where I have to sign. Now, I've got a lot of titles I've got the title preacher, I've got the title husband, I've got the title father, I've got the title friend, I've got the title brother, but I do not sign my titles. When I go to sign on the dotted line, they want to know not what I am, they want to know who I am, because what I am is of no benefit but who I am means I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. Ladies and gentlemen, my end of the bargain in the Garden of Eden was to walk before God and to not eat off of that tree. But in Adam, we did not keep our end of the bargain because he ate off of that tree. And because of the disobedience to the command of God, he fell out of the favor of God. But God signed a document with his name. And he said, though your sins be as 
scarlet. I will. I shall. I absolutely make you a guarantee. I will make them as white as snow. God, what if I sin again? He says it does not matter. You're into the bargain because you're into the bargain. is only contingent upon my name. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is not even on the contract of sin because when I got saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, he took the old man off of the contract and he put the new man on the contract. You see, on the contract with God the Father is not Tyler Galton. On the contract where I used to be is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Righteousness, the Son of Healing, the Son of Glory, the Son of Peace. And so every time that the devil goes to the Father and he says, look at Tyler, he's messed up again. The Father looks over the banisters of glory, but when he looks down, he doesn't see me. He sees his son's name written on my life. At the end of the day, it's not your life. It's the life of the Son of God. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So be glad because he's still God. You say, I ain't done my part. He's still God. You say, my world's falling apart. He's still God. You say, my family's gone to pot. He's still God. You say, I'm sick. He's still God. You say, the church doesn't care about me anymore. He's still God. I don't have what I need. He's still God. And here's the point. If he's still God, God is not a man that he can lie, nor the son of man that he should lie. Therefore, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Why? Because he's still God. Therefore, you get on an altar, you lift up your hands, you ride down the road, and you got joy on the outside. Because he's still God. Number two, in verse number eight, you don't just rejoice and be glad because he's still God. You be glad and rejoice because he has a plan. Watch what he says in verse number eight. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not. You see, in the grapevines of Israel, they would let the grapes get going. And then in that last part, they would go and get the grapes, and they would take the grapes, and they would crush them. They would destroy them. Why? Because all grapes on that vine have got one purpose. You know what that purpose is? To be crushed in order to make wine. So therefore... If he went to one particular grape and plucked it off the vine and put it in his pocket, you would look at the master vineyard man and you would say, why did you do that? He would say, this one has got a special place. It's not going to be like the rest. The rest of them are going in a direction. But this one has got a special plan for its existence. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what you and I are? 
We are that grape that was plucked off the vine of the wrath of God. We are that that grape that was plucked off and we were placed in the hand of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, why would they pluck that grape off and keep it from the same destiny as the rest of them? Because there was something that the master wanted to do with that grape. You and I have got to understand. It may look like our world's being jostled. It may look like people are walking away from us. It may look like nobody cares about us but you've got to understand you've been taken and put in the hand of God why because there's a special plan for your life it may look like so and so walked out on you but God has a plan for your life it may look like it's all falling apart my God I'm helping myself right now it may look like your life has gone to shambles but there is still a plan that God has for your life I have never been a good person to give advice I am a terrible counselor because I'm way too honest but here's what would happen people would come up and they would tell me all types of things about their life. They'd tell me how their family's messed up. They'd tell me how their situation's falling apart. they tell me how they didn't have this and how they didn't have that. And I know what they wanted. They wanted me to come up and say, brother, it's, it's going to be okay. We're, we're going to make, do you want me to pray? I'll pray. Just let's go, let's go get a cup of coffee. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get it. I'd look at him. I'd say, it's going to be all right. Well, my husband just, it's going to be all right. But when I have a problem, You better give me some sympathy. You can tell me your world's gone to pieces, and I'm going to look at you and say, it's going to be all right. God's got a plan. But if I get a sniffle and I go to my wife, ladies, can I just stop and say something? You ain't never been sick until you've had a man cold. Ma'am, all he wants is a little sympathy. You see, we've got this thing inside of us. It's called pride. And down deep inside of us, we think we're going to be the exception to the rule. We look around at everybody, and we see that through calamity and through pain and problem, it's all okay. But yet when it comes to our life and our problem and our situation, we get down in the dumps. We get all up in the mully grubs. We can't rejoice. We can't be excited because our life is going to fall apart. The devil's got to convince that it's going to be our family that's not going to make it. It's going to be our finances that aren't going to survive. It's going to be our ministry that falls apart. It's going to be our church that doesn't make it. Honey, the devil's a liar and the father of lies. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been placed in the hand of Jesus Christ. How many of you in this tabernacle right now, you're not ashamed of it with an uplifted hand? You know you're saved. Wave it at me as high as you can. Here's what you're testifying with that hand uplifted. In John chapter number 10, you've been John chapter number 10, put in the hand of Jesus Christ. And inside of the hand of Jesus Christ, you're in the hand of God. God's got a plan for your life. It may look like it's shaking. It may look like it's rocking. It may look like it's coming apart. But you can be excited and be happy and be joyful and be glad and ride down the road even though your world's falling apart you can be glad because God has a plan for your life number three I want you to notice in verse number 10 Tyler how can I be glad my world's already falling apart number three is for you in verse 10 the reason you can be glad is because the barren will blossom again the barren place will blossom again 
Watch what it says in verse number 10. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks. And the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down. There's two places that are mentioned there, and they tell a story. First, it's the fields of Sharon. The second place is the valley of Achor. Those two things tell the story about the blossoming place that is now barren coming back to life. You see, in Isaiah's day when he writes chapter 65, the valley or the the plain of Sharon is in the upper northern region of Israel's land. In that day, do you know what's happening to the upper northern region of Israel's land? Assyria is beginning to encircle it. Do you know what the Assyrians would do to a land when they would encircle them? The first thing they would do is they would murder their flocks. Then they would take the women and they would murder the men children. And they would leave the men wounded on the field so that they would look out upon the place where they used to have herds. And it would be a reminder to them that it's never going to be the same again. The, fat, the plain of Sharon is a picture of what the devil does in your life. You see, the devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. How many of you know the devil can mess up your life and mess up your family? But there's two places there. The Valley of Achor. You remember back in the book of Joshua? The Valley of Achor is the place where Achan sinned after Jericho. And they stoned him and they buried him there in the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor was a cursed place because of what Achan did there. Now watch this. The Valley of Achor is a picture of a personal choice that messed up somebody. Can I tell you something? Not everything bad that happens in our life is the devil's fault. There's a whole lot of the mess-ups in my life old Tyler Curtis did himself. Now, I can blame him on the devil, but my foolishness and my words and my actions and my situations and my decisions are what put me there. And sometimes my decisions can make a place barren. I wonder how many times the children of Israel walked by the valley of Achor, going down to the Jordan River, and looked and said, what could have been? It was a barren place. But do you know what Isaiah said? He said, be glad. Because there's two places that are barren. The place that the devil messed up and the place that you messed up. And the day is coming where the barren place is going to bloom again. Ladies and gentlemen, in this room right now, there are mothers and fathers and grandparents that have had children go astray and have had children mess up on God and walk away from the things of God. Some of it, the devil got a hold of them, got in their mind, got in their thoughts. But if we're honest, some of our kids going astray, it was our own personal fault. We made decisions and we said things and we did things that messed them up. But here's what God says. I know the devil 
devil tells you it's never going to be the same again. I know the devil tells you your family's never going to be all right again. I know the devil tells you your church is never going to be all right again and your life is never going to be all right again. Whether the devil messed it up or whether you messed it up, God says be glad, child of God, when you come into the sanctuary because the barren place will blossom again. It may not blossom in your life, but the day's going to come when you pray for a child. He says you pray and I will answer and I will show you great mighty things which thou knowest not and that place which is barren it will bloom again there are times in the house of God riding down the road the Holy Ghost will give you that nudge and say rejoice and the devil will say you can't rejoice you got a barren place in your life there's nothing worse in a yard that's full of lush green to have a barren brown spot in the middle of it that's all you focus on. That family, that mess up, that old sin, that decision, that ministry, that issue is the brown spot in your life. But God says be glad. Because that thing which is barren, that the devil messed up or you messed up, it will have flocks and bloom again. You can't rejoice today about your children being in church, but you start rejoicing and being glad over the fact that the day will come, whether in this life that you get to see it or you see it looking over the banisters of glory, they'll stand up in church and they'll lift up their hands and say, Preacher, I need to testify. When I was out in sin, when I was out in the world, I had a mama or I had a daddy that didn't give up on me. And Lord, I'm praying right now that you'll just let my mama see what it is and I'm telling you right now through the eye of faith you can see it and when you start seeing that God will do what he said that he will do and he'll act on that promise he gave you you can be glad and rejoice I promise you if you ever get a hold of the fact that God will do what he said he'll do even though it looks barren honey you'll have you an old fashioned Holy Ghost Nazarene snot slinging church of God Pentecostal spell you'll turn over chairs and you'll run up and down aisles and you'll be glad because our God makes the barren place bloom again so be glad number four i'm done it's in verse number 16 verse number 16 the reason that you can be glad is because the former things will pass away watch what he says in verse 16 he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. I'm going to tell you the worst pain in the world is the pain of regret. The pain of what you should have, the pain of what you could have. And brothers and sisters, it will rock your faith if you let it. It'll steal your joy if you let it. You'll find yourself in church sometimes, and they'll be shouting, they'll be singing, and you find your mind wandering back to that place. You find your mind wandering back to that mistake. 
You find your mind wandering in the middle of the night. You wake up and the first thing your mind floats to is what could have been. And it robs your ability to be glad. But he says be glad and rejoice because the former things are passed away. Brothers and sisters, I had a lady ask me the other day in church. I don't know why she asked me this, and I never really processed it. I thought about it, but I never processed it. She said, Tyler, how come it says there's no tears in heaven if it says he'll wipe away the tears from our eyes? I, I thought about it, but I'd never processed that. You see, there will be a moment in heaven. I don't know when it is. I don't know what it looks like. But I imagine it is somewhere around the time that Second Peter says that the old earth implodes and is renovated by fire. You know, they say, scientists say, that even emotions carry energy. And energy carries power, waves. It's real. It's a tangible thing. We just can't see it. When the world is upended in fire, according to Second Peter, the old things are passed away. They're physically, actually, and literally burn up. And in that moment, the tears will be wiped away. Now, here's what I came to say to somebody. There's young couples in here, and honey, we live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Absolute Laodicea and filth. There's no doubt there are stains that carry scars down deep inside of us. Decisions that the devil says are going to affect you the rest of your life. And you know what? They will. Like I tell my 12-year-old boy, son, actions have consequences. But Tyler, be glad. Rejoice, because the day is coming when that which was will pass away. It physically, actually, and literally dies. I said all that to say this and be done. If the day is coming that it will be done away with, what's the devil going to do that's going to do more damage than's already been done? He can't hurt you anymore than he already has. With the past, it's already as bad as it's going to get in the eyes of God. Therefore, be glad in the fact that it's almost over. You are one day closer to the day when it no longer touches you. And if you ever get a hold of the fact that God is already eternally in that day, you're the only one that thinks about it. Because God is just as much in that time when time is done away with as we are right now 
Therefore, he's already thinking about that day as if that day was this day. Therefore, on that day when all that stuff is done away with, he's already acting like that day has come to pass. Therefore, today, whenever you're thinking about it and it's keeping you from rejoicing, somehow in some way the God of heaven looks at you and says, My child, what's bothering you so bad that you can't rejoice in the fact that your sins are washed away with? And you look at God and say, God, do you remember when I did this? Do you remember when I said that? Do you remember when I acted like that over there? God says, I have no idea what you're talking about because the former things are already passed away in the eyes of God. Therefore, you can lift up your hands in the sanctuary and rejoice in the fact and be glad that the former things are already passed away in the eyes of God. Put it to you like this. God's already there and you're heading there And I'm supposed to be a follower of him. Therefore, shouldn't I start thinking the thoughts he's thinking and acting in the way he's acting? Therefore, if the only thoughts he thinks towards me are thoughts of peace and to give me an expected end, shouldn't I be rejoicing in the fact that he ain't thinking about it? Therefore, I shouldn't be thinking about it. Now I can lift my hands. Now I can be glad. Now I can go to an altar. Now I don't have to worry what anybody else is thinking about me because whether your mama's still thinking it or your daddy's still thinking it, your heavenly father has already forgotten about it. Now you can rejoice and let your joy come from the inside and go to the outside because you don't have to worry if your kids find out about it. You don't have to worry if they realize what you used to be because in the eyes of God, you are spotless and righteous just as if you are Jesus Christ. That's called imputation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all gone. Therefore, rejoice and be glad.